Hello and welcome to the Donmar Warehouse podcast. My name is Bly Stewart and I am the resident assistant director. I'm currently assisting Ola Ince on Appropriate by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. In the rehearsal process for every production, we invite experts to talk to our cast to help us research the play and the characters in it. In this episode of the Donmar podcast, we are sharing some highlights of Zoe Hyman's discussion with the company. Zoe is a lecturer in U.S. history at the UCL Institute of Americas. Here she is on the American South and race politics. There was no aspect, really, of life or labour or the economy that was not touched by slavery. One of the key reasons, of course, for this was the boom in cotton. So by the kind of last years of the 1700s, slavery looked like it was probably going to be on the way out because cotton wasn't very profitable. It took an awful lot of effort to extract very kind of sticky seeds from the middle of a a fluffy white cotton ball and it just wasn't useful or particularly profitable. In the last sort of decade of the 18th century, the cotton gin was invented. Now, this suddenly meant that a machine could process the cotton bowls that slaves were picking much more quickly. And so almost overnight, a slave trade that looked like it was kind of withering away had a second wind. And not only the transatlantic slave trade, uh, but particularly in the US, the internal slave trade. So a plantation like the one in this play, like the Lafayette's plantation in Arkansas, would be fairly atypical, right? It was unusual to have such large plantations. Most slaves in the American South laboured on a kind of yeoman's farm type scale. Perhaps the owner and his wife and family, and anywhere between perhaps one and ten slaves. That was kind of far more the norm in rice and tobacco and these kind of things. A large plantation with kind of 200 slaves or more was very unusual, less, far less than 1% um, would have existed in the American South, unlike places like the Caribbean where those huge plantations um, were really, really common. So the sort of feeling from this play is that this is a decent-sized plantation, um, and that would have made it quite unusual in the area, certainly probably one of the more powerful families of the area. Southeast Arkansas is the main slave-based economy of Arkansas. Um, Anywhere from there downwards, and I see you've got a map of the states there so you can see, anything from kind of southeast Arkansas downwards is warm enough to grow cotton and you need at least 200 frost-free days a year um, to grow and process cotton. Uh, so you wouldn't have got the kind of plantations outside of this part of, um, of Arkansas. But this was not just, you know, I said this is, touches all of Southern life, but it touches all of American life. So nobody really had, this is a new nation. It's only just really been 
come into being at the end of the 18th century. They needed money, they needed to be a player on the world stage. And people who didn't live in the South also made a lot of money out of slavery. Bankers, merchants, traders, those who transported the cotton um, to Europe, particularly England and France. Um, so everybody had a finger in this pie, and that's why nobody really wanted to stop it. By 1830, 1840, the seat of power is really no longer in DC. The power is concentrated in the deep south, the slave south, particularly kind of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, because of the money that's been produced and the fact that they control all this kind of uh, trade. And also because they... Um, so the US starts to kind of set up a census after the American Revolution. And of course, the question arises, what do we do with black people in the census? If they count as a person, that would raise questions of whether they should be held in bondage for obvious reasons. So Congress comes up with what it calls the three-fifth compromise. Um, and this means that every enslaved person is counted on a census as three-fifths of a person. What this tries to do, of course, is balance the population in the South with this growing population that you mentioned in the North, particularly immigrants coming in um, and settling in the Northeast and, and, and the Midwest. They don't go to the South that much for obvious reasons. Why would you pay newcomer wages when you've got slaves who work for free? So immigrants overwhelmingly go, of course, to the free states um, above the Mason-Dixon line. And this would, this, it's only really important because population dictates how much power you have in Congress, dictates how many representatives you'll have and the kind of votes that your senator will have and the kind of votes that your state will have when it comes to picking up um, uh, a president. So... It is political, it's a struggle over power, and it's substantially a struggle over what the future of the United States is going to look like when it spreads all the way to the West. So for the better part of 60 years, from the turn of the century up to the Civil War, this kind of uneasy truce existed in the US Congress where every slave state that was admitted, so that's Arkansas, right? The territory already existed with slavery, but the state only was admitted to the Union uh, somewhere in the mid-30s, I think. So, but for every slave state that was admitted, a free state was admitted as well. So this dodgy balance continues with a few kind of flashpoints up till 1860. Um, and with the slave trade being abolished by this point everywhere else apart from Brazil, the US South is suddenly looking like quite the anomaly. So Abraham Lincoln's elected in 1860. He doesn't come out and say, I'm going to abolish slavery. But he says, no more expansion of slavery into new states. So given what we know about the profitability of cotton 
and the robustness, for want of a better word, of the slave population in the South, slavery would have continued for quite a long time. We know that now, but, but Lincoln kind of imagined that maybe this would start a slow but steady decline of an archaic practice. The South, of course, regarded this as an attack on their livelihood. Um, and this eventually leads to a number of states seceding from the Union uh, in the first months of 1861 and establishing the Confederate States of America. Now, this is not just North versus South, Confederate versus Union, um, or Confederate versus Yankee, right? It's far more complicated than that. And the kind of battles between families and counties and even states are those exact same battles that we see perhaps generationally in this play and also the same kind of battles generationally that you'll hear people having today about the right location for something like a Confederate War Memorial. Should it stay there? Should it go to a museum? Should it be destroyed? Uh, does Joe Bloggs in Arkansas have the right and should he be able to still wave the Confederate flag on his private property? Well, can probably do what he wants in his own house, but should it be in a public place, like on a state house? These are the kind of, you know, internal divisions that exist. Arkansas is really representative of this. Like, it doesn't leap straight into secession the way that states like South Carolina or Mississippi do. That was Zoe Hyman talking to the cast of Appropriate, which runs at the Donmar Warehouse from the 16th of August to the 5th of October. Tickets are on sale now at donmarwarehouse.com.